0: This is Purple Radio On Demand
1: Hello and welcome to the second episode of Pub Talk, the show where four friends talk European football over a couple of pints. My name is Gabriel Radis and I'm here with Charlie Dunn, savant of Spanish soccer, Archie Hodgson, hibernian heartthrob, here to talk all things SPL, and Mathieu Ryan, fervent follower of French football. Together we'll be looking at Atletico's disaster in the Copa del Rey, the decline of Ligue 1 bottom club Toulouse, Haaland, well, being Haaland, and much more. At the time recording, it's uh, I think it's Monday night, 27th of January, and whilst Mathieu is joining us uh, on the phone from Madrid, Charlie, Archie and I are sitting in Charlie's pretty nice apartment I've got to say in the centre of Paris um, so as we've come to
2: him Charlie's provided the beers for this week Charlie what have you got? Um, I've gone for an ice beer which is uh, aromatised with herbs from the mountain wow. first taste <laughs> it's not great so I'm sorry in advance boys. <laughs> but um, there wasn't great selection and I'm a big fan of the song from the Sound of Music so I thought I'd give it a whirl but um, I it's one to safely say uh, Good to try. Don't need to try again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very early,
1: uh, early decision made. I mean, I must say that when I um, yeah, when I first took a sip, it was an interesting taste. Yeah. It tasted Alpine.
2: Yeah, which is what it does. We, it does what it
1: says on the tin? It does. What it, yeah, says Yeah, you know, the bottle. Um, <laughs> uh, Matthew, what have you got with you? Hi guys. Uh, I've got a delightful Estrella Galicia
3: um, in a nice warm can. Uh, so it's not, it's not great. Um glad you could hear me well, um, I hope you all well.
1: Yeah, no, I, mean, I think we're all drinking pretty average uh, beers, so <laughs> at least we've got that in common there. And Archie, how are you doing today?
0: Very well, thank you. You're yep. good? Nice day at work? Um, yeah, uh, hard working as always.
1: Good, good stuff, perfect. All right, you can get in touch with us by emailing pubtalkfootball at yahoo.com if you have any questions or comments for the panel uh, for next week. Uh, at, the ed- at the end of the pod, uh, each week we'll get through all, our, uh, all your questions um, But yeah, let's go, let's get on with the pod So um, last week, uh, saw the Copa del Rey last 32, kick off in midweek uh, And it only seems right to start there, considering the number of cup upsets that occurred um, European giants, Barcelona, they were 1-0 down until the 75th minute On an astroturf pitch, away to lowly third division side Udi Ibiza uh, before Antoine Griezmann, um, he was signed by uh, who was signed by Barca for 24 times the entire worth of UD Ibiza. Um, scored two goals, including a 90th-minute winner to um, spare Barca's blushes. Uh, but that wasn't even the, the biggest shock of the round, to be honest. Uh, Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid lost 2-1 in extra time to third-tier Cultural. Deportiva Leonesa, excuse my my Spanish, um, with 20-year-old striker Sergio Benitez scoring a 108th-minute winner to eliminate Los Rojiblancos. Charlie, with Atletico uh,
2: lagging behind the title race, how damaging a result is that for uh, Simeone's side? Well, it's a result that could have significant um, impact in both the immediate and long-term future. I mean, the last time they were knocked out at this stage in the competition came in December 2011. And it signalled the end of them coach Gregorio Mantana's reign, and Simeone in fact replacing him. As you mentioned, this uh, Coppa Del Rey loss uh, followed a chasteningly defeat to Iber in 15th place, and his poor run of form has led to some uh, question whether Simeone is the right man to continue um, as manager, as he's currently in the midst of experiencing his most difficult spell in those eight years as manager. Having said that, uh, Atletico's chief executive has urged fans not to lose faith with Simeone, um, which suggests that you know, he'll get more t- uh, time and chances to right these wrongs. But this defeat was followed by a toothless performance against 19th place Lehanis, which ended in a 0-0 draw, which thus continued Atletico's dire run of form, leaving them in 5th place, 10 points behind leaders and more importantly fierce rivals, Real. Um, I think given their recent poor run of forms, it's interesting to see they've just been linked with a move for PSG's Cavani, which could solve Atletico's problems in front of goal, as well as offer Cavani an escape route from Paris, where he seems unable to break into the starting eleven consistently this season. Um, Atletico's last offer of 10 million euros was rejected, but the new bid of 15 million excluding bonuses should be lodged soon, and the assumption is that deal will then be accepted by the PSG board.
1: Um, Mattia, yeah, considering, um, I guess you're in Madrid, um, how scathing have uh, you know sort of publications like Marker been towards um, Atletico and Simeone and, and and their performances of late?
3: Pretty pretty scathing, to be honest. Um, in terms of the the, the newspapers, um, I don't know too well, but I can tell you that the, the public opinion um, is seriously turning against it, um, both from from football fans in general, but um, something that's new is Atletico fans who are who was starting to be quite fed up. Um, He's an absolute idol. Um, You know, in the wonder when you go there, uh, his name is chanted, like, from start to finish. Um, But this year, they've gone from... They've always been quite a a gritty team and not the the most beautiful style of football. Everybody knows that. Um, But this year, it's just really... It's been been more than that. It's been quite ugly to watch. Um, And when the results don't come, um, I think a lot of people are becoming quite fed up um, because their style of football um, is not getting the results it used to yield, and plus it's just it's quite diet. So um, I don't I see him only being fired now, but I can see the public opinion is turning against him um, pretty quickly. Um, some people are very fed up.
1: Yeah, and I guess Arch, um, considering, I mean, it's so much so often with teams like I guess Atletico that move to the Wonder Metropolitano, got west ham i guess i guess in the english premier league that moved yeah. to the olympic stadium mm-hmm. this kind of th- thing happens when teams move away from their sort of home and uh, go to these new stadiums and, and of late it's kind of seen that they, you get this run of poor form that then results in quite a lot of tension
0: yeah that's true i i was at the the one metropolitan back in december to watch um, atletico's champions league game against locomotive moscow and i think it was, it was so clear that night what the issue's been all season they are just so profligate in front of goal obviously in the summer they sold Anton Griezmann who's been such a talismanic figure mm-hmm. um, over the past five seasons and he's averaged 27 goals a season I think that that is a loss that any team no matter who you are would feel mm-hmm. and obviously they, they brought in Jao Felix from Benfica for a huge amount of money 106 million, 126 million euros but He's he's a player, he's 20 years old, he's only got one full season of first-team football under his belt at Benfica. There's a huge amount of pressure on him. Yeah. And although there's no doubt that, in my mind, that he is going to be um, a, a very important player for Atletico going forward and probably will develop into one of the best players in the world, at this moment in time, he's he's simply um not got the not got the goals in his locker to to fill the gap left by Griezmann um, and obviously you've got some you've got two pretty good strikers there in Diego Costa and um and Morata but they've been misfiring this season and um as as Danny mentioned there um, Diego Simeone, who's been a long-term admirer of Edison Cavani, is is trying to get him in desperately, and I I think um, according to reports in the Spanish media, that one looks like it will go through before the end of the the January transfer window, and yeah. I think that that could see them going up the table because you know as, as ever as, as you've come to expect under Diego Simeone, Atletico are rock solid at the back, but they've only scored twenty two goals in twenty one league games, and that's not going to get you very far. I mean the fact that the fact that they're so close to the top of the table. Um, it, it, it's kind of testament to how good they still are defensively but I think if you add the goals of um, Edison Cavani to the mix and yeah. I, I don't think they'd be able to to um, uh, reach Atletico uh, uh, sorry, reach Real and Barcelona but I think they could definitely finish third
1: Yeah, I mean it's tough I guess because they definitely have one of, if not the best uh, defences in, in Europe they have the best goalkeeper arguably in Europe and Jan Oblak. who just is uh, imperious um, they have a very strong um, defensive line uh, although I mean I guess the jury's out on Kieran Trippier um, helping or, or, or sort of uh, <laughs> diminishing that, that strength but um, yeah I mean to be fair Athelska weren't the only side to, to really struggle in the Copa del Rey on, uh, uh, in midweek because um, the Copa del Rey has this quite funny format system which we obviously don't have in, in the FA Cup in in England or I, I mean uh, I don't know about other leagues um, I guess we'll get, get on to that but um, we saw Celta Vigo, Mallorca, um, Real Baradolid, <laughs> uh, you can tell I don't do Spanish, um, <laughs> Ibar and Real Betis, so those are all La Liga sides, all knocked out by lower league opposition, which um, what happens is in the Copa del Rey, um, the team that is the lower league team in the draw um, gets to play their game at home, so you have things like Ibiza playing Barcelona, but... Barcelona travel to Ibiza to play on their plastic pitch um, Mathieu does that kind of thing exist in like, Ligue 1 or, or not really at all
3: No it doesn't exist in France um, it's quite a nice concept um, by virtue of like of balancing the scales slightly um, and also I guess uh, there is an economic bonus for the lower place side because they get to, to fill a stadium um, I do like it but the, the thing about it is that I think it loses a bit of the magic of the cup because part of it is that you get these like 4 tier t- sides that get to travel to play in like the Bernabeu, or like a huge stadium. I'm sure like last week some Salamanca players would have absolutely loved to play in the Benamil. Um So I guess that's the only issue I have with it. Um, in France, there's like an unspoken tradition um, that the club in the higher league leaves the profit um, that they make from the game, from, like ticketing and other sources of income, to the lower place price. Um It's like an unspoken rule. Um, which means that there's like a load of controversy when it doesn't happen. So Marseille, in their third round, didn't leave uh, the, uh, their profit, um, and they they only really won on penalties. Marseille, and this is like yeah, it's the fourth tier club, um, and it genuinely created like a big controversy. Um, there were loads of chairman like like speaking out against the the fact that they didn't leave. I think it was like seventy thousand euros or something. Um, but that's the only thing we have in our cup. We don't have the system
1: of the the, uh, the the home side being the lower the lower league side. Um, but it is quite nice. I I, I like it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess so too. Um, I think. I mean, obviously, Charlie just touched on before when talking about Atletico. He talked to, talked about the um, their difficulties in the league. Um, we should move on to the league because there were there were a league sort of a round of fixtures uh, um, on over the weekend. Um, to look at the results first before we go on to in, into things on a slightly di- deeper level, um, there were some big results. Uh, Barcelona losing two 0 to Valencia uh, in Valencia, so it's Valencia's first win against Barca at the Mestalla in thirteen years. Uh, Archie, what do you think uh, went wrong? Because I mean, Barca had seventy four percent possession. Uh, Messi didn't. I mean, he had lots of shots on goal. He didn't. He maybe. Didn't, I mean, who went perhaps that? successful in front of goal in terms of uh, converting those opportunities into into mm-hmm. shots on target, but was this, is there something deeper
0: there? Or? Um, to, to be honest with you, I don't think this result can even be deemed a surprise. Barcelona's uh, poor away form has been pretty well documented this season they've only won four games on the road in, in La Liga, which by their standards is pretty shocking and um, conversely, Valencia for them, the, the Messiah has been a bit of a fortress this year they're unbeaten at home in eleven. And um, I I think they're actually playing some very good attacking football. In um, Maxi Gomez, the summer signing from Celta Vigo, they they've got one of the the most exciting up and coming talents in the country. And obviously he scored the the two goals and had a, a penalty saved as well. So I I don't think Barcelona can can complain at all about the result.
1: Yeah, I mean Tossgen was actually fantastic in that game, um, making a number of great saves, including the penalty save. Uh, and Real Madrid, uh, after seeing Barca lose. Then went and uh, played Valladolid and uh, got a one nil narrow one 0 away win, but that still meant that they opened up a gap of three points up at the top. Charlie, can to keep that for for a while, or, or is that is that a temporary thing? Do you think?
2: Um, I think they'll definitely be able to keep that going on, despite not having won the title since 2017. Real are a team of serial winners uh, with a coach who historically knows how to get the best out of them. I think, as ever, um, with La Liga, it will go right to the wire but I think the clinching factor in the title race will be that Real have not had to go through a mid-season transition, unlike their rivals and closest competitors, Barca. That consistency amongst the coaching staff, structure, players, uh, which leads to the cohesion within the squad, could prove vital as Barca try and adapt to Xavi's uh, style of play, with their result of the weekend showing the size of the task at hand for the Catalan club. Um, so yeah. I think it could be uh, a tricky... Tricky one indeed, yeah. Uh, just quickly to touch on um,
1: uh, on the game between Espanol and Atletico Bilbao, uh, Inaki Williams, is what is becoming a consistent and um, periodic trend in uh, in European football and in world football, to be honest, um, Inaki Williams, uh, Bilbao striker, was uh, racially abused by Espanol fans mm-hmm. during their one all draw. Uh, and La Liga came out. La Liga, the, the funny thing in, is in, in Spain that La Liga is separate from the Spanish Football Association, so there's a, there's a slight divide there, and often they come to blows. But here um, this afternoon, La Liga came out today and said that, um, that the Spanish FA should partially close Espanyol Stadium as punishment. And the front page of Marker um, yesterday was Basta ya de racismo, which is enough of racism. I really shouldn't be the one speaking Spanish. Sorry, apologies. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible way. Eh? Um, uh, Arch of uh, Football federations be too soft on punishment. Um, I know that's quite a difficult question to, to ask, but yeah. W- w- just a yeah, quick Well,
0: one. I think, unfortunately, this appears to be a, a growing trend uh, in football. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we discussed a great act last week. The the um, alarming trend of racism in Italy, and I think we, we all know that it's on the up in, in England as well, or at least there have been a lot more incidents reported this season. But whilst the, the Italian authorities have come under a lot of scrutiny for the way in which they've handled um, the racist abuse on the pitch uh, and, and from the stands, I think it's clear from the, the Spanish Football Federation statement today that, that they are dealing with this in, in in the harshest possible way. They came out with a, a statement today um, condemning the behaviour of what they described as a very small um, group of uh, fans. Um, describing their behaviour as uh, uncivilised and and calling for Spanish society to uh, un- uh, sorry to condemn the, um, the the racist abuse in in no uncertain terms, and it will be interesting as you said uh, the league has called for the, the the Spanish Football Federation to order a partial stadium closure for. Espanyol's next home fixture, which is against Mallorca in, in two weeks' time, and it looks like that that will be the case. Um, so I, I think it, it's setting a clear message that this behaviour is completely unacceptable. It won't be tolerated within mm-hmm. Spanish society. It won't be tolerated in the sands of their football stadiums.
1: Yeah. No, uh, and, and totally, totally right. As it shouldn't be. Um, we should now turn our attention to uh, Liga. Um, probably before we do, um, maybe a quick update on, on thoughts on Edelweiss. Um, is it still as bad as you think it is? I think it's it's actually warm to me, but it's I don't growing know if that's my alcoholic sort of
2: tendencies. It is growing on me, and I think at first it's a little bit of a shock, because it's not like anything I think I've ever tasted beforehand. Oh, bold um, but it is it's it's very different, but it's not as unpleasant as I had at first suggested yeah, yeah conclusions. I also
1: quite like the um, I don't know actually if you're a fan of it as well um, obviously you can't see it this is a, a podcast but um, it's got a sort it's of nice mountain nice range the it's got yeah. a mountain range on the glass which is um, really quite nice I don't, I'm not I can imagine it's probably not the same for you and on, on your beer can but um, but it's uh, yeah, no, it's, not, it's not the best but um, it it's going okay it usually comes in a bottle Estrella Galicia and, and it's a lot better um, but it, it's going
3: down nicely because it's a nice bit.
1: Um, nice, but not my wisest decision. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure it's absolutely fine. Um, but yes, no. Moving on I'm moving on to Ligue 1 um, because there are some really interesting stories to come out of Ligue 1 this uh, this weekend. Um, Mattia, what do you think? What, what what were the main stories? I mean, we'll let you considering you are you are the man of French football. Um, what particularly drew, uh, like, caught your attention?
3: Um, To be honest, the main story was that that all the podium chasers, apart from Lyon, dropped points. Uh, So, Rennes, who are currently sitting in third, were were held to one-all by Nice. Marseille, who was second, drew 0-0 in a very boring game to Angers. Uh, Monaco was humiliated at home by Strasbourg. Um, Now, this was this like a 3-1 defeat and they went 3-0 down. Um, Really tough one to take for them after two really encouraging games against PSG. Lille lost last night to PSG. This is um, to be expected. Um, But but basically, the the real winner of this weekend was Lyon, who who comfortably beat Boston Place to Lose, who we'll come back to talk about more um, later. Um, But That was a a real gaining ground uh, for Lyon, who are now only five points off the podium. But all the top teams, Nantes as well, I forgot to mention, who also lost um, in a really emotional home game against um, Bordeaux. It's been a year now since Lille and Salah's... Disastrous, like catastrophe, um, and it was it was a really emotional game um, at La Bourgeois. Um, but they lost one nil, um, and so all the, the top seven sides, uh,
1: including Lyon
3: and PSG, um, dropped points. So that was
1: the, the story of the weekend. Yeah, and, and as you and as you mentioned, um, the real winners, I guess, are Lyon uh, having won three nil against yeah. Toulouse, and and you mentioned that we talk about Toulouse. Um, Archie, I don't know if you've seen about. The way that the the manner in which Toulouse have sort of just dropped like a stone, not only this year but in terms of over the course of, of several years. Um, do you see? I mean, we'll we'll we'll, t- we'll go back to, and look at it uh, from a Toulouse perspective, but um, it's it's quite similar to 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 what's happened in uh, in, uh, in Scottish football, I guess, with with Hearts this season. If you look at just the way they've just completely bottomed out.
0: Uh, I, to be honest with you, I I'm not sure that. There's a massive parallel there because I, I think uh, Toulouse's um, slide into the second tier of French football is pretty inevitable. But I, I think, as I alluded to last week, Hearts have huge financial clout compared to the, the teams in and around them. And, and that's been proved this week by um, by their um, signing of Liam Boyce in the transfer market from, from Burton Albion. And in Liam Boyce, they they've got a... He's a Northern Irish uh, international uh, striker and he was a, the top scorer in the Scottish Premiership three seasons ago with Ross County which is an incredibly impressive feat. So this is a guy who's got a, a proven track record at this level yeah. and uh, as you saw in his, his debut at the weekend he, he set up Stephen Naismith's equaliser against Rangers and then in the 83rd minute scored the winner and that was uh, Hearts' first uh, league victory in 11 matches. Um, and it, it was a result that nobody saw coming um, and th- and that result now leaves them only 2 points off the the team above them and the the teams in the bottom half of the table are so tightly packed that there's only 6 points separating Hearts and and Kilmarnock in 7th place so i i think with the additions they've made and the money they've spent in in this january transfer window i think we we're, we're going to see them pushing up the table very no. quickly whereas no. i think for for Toulouse um they they look like they're in real trouble.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess we'll, we'll go we'll come back to um Hearts and, and the effect that, that that win against Rangers had. Um going back to Toulouse Mathieu um obviously Toulouse have been in, in League since 2003, which all things considered is 17 years is a long run. Um what's just happened to them this year that's that means that I mean they're bottom of the table. They're looking pretty dreadful if honest. They've got a uh, they've lost uh, have they lost all of their, their last 12 games they, they've really had a, a disastrous season so far
3: yeah you're right um, it's 12 consecutive defeats in all competitions um, that includes a cup exit against I think it was a 6th tier team um, it's just been an absolute disaster and it comes as a surprise to no one uh, to be honest they've been fighting relegation for a few years now I think 3 years ago they had a, a really tight save um, I'm talking like at uh, half time of the last game, they were they were going to be relegated and salvaged it um, right at the end. But um, so, I mean, 12 points in 21 games speaks for itself. Um, and we're talking about League One here. Like the the level of League One this year has been pretty poor, and they've got 12 points in 21, um, mm. and it's falling apart on the pitch, off the pitch. Um, goalkeeper batiste uh, Rene this week. Uh, skip training in protest um, for the club signing uh, Lovra Kalinic from Masson Villa on loan. Um, so he was left out of the squad, um, unsurprisingly against Lyon. Um, it's just been a gradual downfall, um, and it it came it became even worse when they decided to start to appoint Comboire as their coach. Um, I don't know if you know this guy. Um, he's like a French coach. He, he did coach PSG at one point. Um, he is one of the most uninspiring defensive coaches um, I've ever seen. Um, and he's got this reputation in France as like being this guy who can come in and do like, a, a commando mission and save a team from relegation. Um, his, in his unveiling press conference, this is no exaggeration, he did not know um, who Toulouse's next opponent was. Um, and he actively admitted that he hadn't watched any of Toulouse's last games. Um, and unsurprisingly, in three months, uh, he got three points <laughs> um, and then was sacked. And now, it's the sporting director, Zango is a caretaker manager. But to be honest, it's just, I mean, Lyon on, on Sunday we're, were actually quite poor. Um, and Lyon usually have a reputation for making things complicated for themselves. And even as a Leon fan, I was never worried, even though we were only 1 0 up. Um, Toulouse are just abysmal. Um, now, the only thing of hope is that they're only six points off 18th place. Um, and Just to remind you that 18th place in France is not automatic relegation, um, it's a playoff spot. They play like a, a two-leg uh, playoff against the winner of the League 2 playoffs. Um, and they play uh, uh, next week, so that game is a real six-pointer because if they lose that and make it 13 consecutive losses, they'll be nine points away here. I just can't see them saving that. But. You know, that game could, could turn everything around, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, I think in a week's time we'll we'll know more about where to lose is standing, but I mean they've just been so so poor this year and and as I said, it's a surprise
2: to no
1: one. Yeah. Um Should we should we take a quick poll on uh, Charlie? Toulouse, Up or down?
0: No. Nah. Archie? Gotta be down. Mathieu?
1: i am think they're gonna
0: stay up. Ooh. Do you actually? I think I think I think they might win against Amyan next week and then um I mean the thing is is that with with them only being on twelve points and
1: Amya on eighteen, I, I can see them stringing a few wins in April uh, and getting eighteen. Um also I'm just saying that to be different, but I genuinely <laughs> think they could they could get it. Yeah, I um, think they're gonna go down mate, I'm afraid. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Not that I have I'll much of it. Keep this in mind we'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, considering you've, you've presented me as a French League expert,
3: I now have a, a bit of pressure here, but Yeah, that's um,
1: true. We shall see. No, I'm looking forward to seeing whether, I mean, it stands to reason that you should be the one that, that gets it right, but uh, we'll, we'll see come May. <laughs> Anywho, um, yeah, so we, we, we spoke about um, earlier about Hearts and looking at how they they were bottom of the table, they are bottom of the table, um, coming into the weekend and how they pulled off a miraculous victory against, um, against Rangers, against title chasers, Rangers. Uh, Stephen Gerrard, the manager of Rangers, called the performance unrecognisable to that of what he normally expects of his squad. And it was a really disastrous result for Rangers. Um, elsewhere, Celtic had the opportunity to extend their lead at the top when they uh, played Ross County in, in, in midweek, and Charlie, had would
2: they get on? Uh, no surprise to anyone, they won, <laughs> um, which has come um, um, at a good time for them. Obviously, they've just returned from the 24-day long winter break, and the last result before that was a loss in the old firm game. So there's no doubt that they were, you know, looking to return from the winter break fresh and to make amends and to prove that they still are the teams to beat, the team to watch out for. Um, And this obviously comes in a a double game week for Celtic. So they won 3-0 against Ross County at home. And then um, in the cup, (coughs) they won 3-1 away at Kilmarnock. That result's probably not that surprising given Kilmarnock have lost the last five league games without scoring a single goal. Um, they set up defensively in an attempt to frustrate Celtic, but that afforded the Glasgow team, you know, the mammoth share of possession and inevitably their quality shone through. I'd say Griffiths posed problems all game and was duly rewarded with a goal in the 51st minute.
1: Yeah, and and, and what do you think about um, Lee Griffiths' return to form, uh, Archie?
0: Yeah, I, I think um, oh, Lee Lee Griffiths. Has had a lot of off the field issues in in the past kind of twelve months or so, uh, relating to his mental health predominantly, and um, he's he's spent a lot of time on on leave from the club during that that time just to to get back to where he needs to be to perform uh, at the highest level. And I think as you saw, um, well, first of all in the, in the cup game against uh, Thistle last weekend, then uh, midweek back in league action against Kilmarnock he's he's looking really really sharp again back to his best and i think for celtic it's almost going to be like a new signing because in the first half of the season there was i would say an over-reliance on odson edward who is obviously an unbelievable player but you at a top club like celtic you with so many games as well with the, the european competition you need more than one top striker at the club and uh, in in Lee Griffiths now you you've got two and I think his return is is so key not only for Celtic but actually for the, the Scotland national team's chances of of uh, progressing to the the European Championships this summer. Obviously, we've got our, our playoff matches in um, in March time against Israel, and then if if we get past um, if we get past Israel, then we will have a, a final against either Serbia or Norway. So we we really do need. Lee Griffiths firing on all cylinders because throughout the qualification campaign we've been desperately missing a, a frontman to put the ball in the back in net because mm-hmm. the Scotland team does actually have a lot of quality across especially the, the middle of the park we've got the likes of John McGinn, Stuart Armstrong John Fleck, Ryan Fraser all performing very well at the, the top level in the Premier League mm-hmm. but unfortunately we've just been lacking the the man up front to convert all of those opportunities into goals and in in Lee Griffiths, I mean, you'll you'll remember no doubt the the two free kicks he scored at Hamden against England. He's he is a, a man of of unbelievable quality.
1: Yeah. You say you say about how he is almost like a new signing for Celtic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Celtic just now have signed 21 um, year old Ivorian midfielder uh, Ismaili Sorrow um, who's been playing his trade in Israel for Beni Yehuda. Yeah. Um, a quick quick thought on that, uh, Archie, before we go, to Charlie.
0: Yeah, I mean, for for a lot of people, that might seem it might seem almost like a, a bit of a random transfer, but the Israeli market is one that that Neil Lennon has tapped into quite a lot in recent years, and, and to great effect, he's brought in the likes of Nia Buton, Baron Kyle, who's now at Brighton, uh, and FA Ambrose, um, all from the, the Israeli league, and, and when he was at my club, Hibs, he, he brought in uh, the Israeli number one goalkeeper, I'd, I think Charlie will remember some of the saves he made at um, at the game we went to earlier this season. So that, that's a market which has proved incredibly um, lucrative for Neil Lennon in the past and um, he'll, he'll be hoping that, that this is um, another example of, of that. Um, th- this uh, this new signing, he's a defensive midfielder and I think the feeling at the club is, is that he could be the long-term uh, successor for uh, Scott Brown who's obviously... Slowly um, getting towards the, the twilight phase of his career, he's now, mm-hmm. he's now 34 years old, I, th- I think there's, there's no doubt that he's he's still Neil Lennon's. Uh, the, he's the first name on the team sheet every sure. single week, he's so integral to, to Celtic style of play, but there's going to come a time when, when he needs to be replaced, and um, at, at 21 years of age, uh, this, this new signing has already played um, well over 60 games of first team football, so he, he's an experienced player. But I think he's he's more one for the future. He's mm-hmm. going to struggle to break into that Celtic midfield straight away because, just like the Scotland midfield, it's very very strong. But I I do see him um, being being a successor to Scott Brown in in the future.
1: Sure. And and Charlie, where does he fit quickly on in the pecking order for um, for Celtic? I mean, obviously, Archie just said now that he he sees him as a long term successor for Scott Brown. Does he go straight into the team or is he on the bench or where where's he put?
2: I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if. Um, I mean, he's still not been confirmed yet. He's only just flew into Glasgow this afternoon, so it wouldn't surprise me is if they try and get him out on loan quickly, so he gets some first-team football within not necessarily the SPL, but you know, English or, or British football as a whole. Um, because as Archie mentioned, you've got you know huge strength and depth with McGregor, Brown, and Chalm Christie already vying for places in that starting lineup. The only other thing I'd say is quickly that in those 64 appearances, he's he's amassed. He's not managed to score a single goal, which okay, as a defensive midfield, you might not expect it, but he's managed to earn 12 yellow cards and three red cards. So his temperament may be something that Celtic, and Lennon in particular, needs to keep an eye on going into the future, particularly with a lot of feisty encounters on Celtic's fixture list particularly that against rangers so it that could be, like, be exciting with it that might.
0: lack of goals and disciplinary record he sounds like the perfect successor to scott brown <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: to be fair i think alfredo morelos i mean if he's still around at rangers he probably does need someone else to fight it, so for a bit so <laughs> he might... does <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no i mean yeah and and you we were looking at it earlier i mean three those three red cards came in one season where you got six yellows and three reds yeah which, which is, is
2: Significantly yeah. good conversion rate I think, you know? i suggest that strong to very strong. Yeah, just um, go all no away. No goals, assists don't really matter, but maybe it's maybe they were all tactical professional fouls, I've yeah. not had a chance to watch them yet. <laughs> but maybe he's just a tactical genius. Have you not have you not be, I kept your eye on the Israeli Premier League? I'm so surprised. <laughs> not not as of this moment in time, but you know, I look forward to seeing his progression as a Celtic man. <laughs> That was good and, and on that note Before we, um,
1: before we head on to uh, The Serie A And the Bundesliga We should probably take A, a wee half time break um, How we get I mean I'm, I'm decently through My, my Edelweiss um, I feel like The podcast Should probably actually Hear a quick story about Part of the reason Why Dunny Brought Edelweiss here Because You know Not only Did he look at it And like the name And the mountain range On the glass But he uh, He's quite was quite the budding actor As a
2: youngster yeah, well, back in the day, I was uh, in the school production Ooh. of The Sound of Music in a singing role, uh, no less, as Rolf, who, if you don't know, he was the Nazi soldier <laughs> dating one of the Bontrap children. Um, it was a good role, not. Well, I mean, I got to, I got to have my first kiss in that role. Oh wow, that's one for Stop the fans. It. That is one for the fans. Um, nice, which is great. And unfortunately, as quickly as that role ended, my singing and acting career went with it. Yeah, um, but that's okay. Fun memories. Okay. Fun <laughs> memories. <laughs> yeah,
1: Matty, have you had any experience with sound of music? Fan, not a fan. Uh, I can't say I um, No, I'm oh. sorry.
3: Um, <coughs> singing
1: and acting is is not my uh, not my sort of that's very fair enough Um, anyway I'm going to take a quick uh, we'll take a quick break now this This is Purple Radio radio. so we'll take a look now at the uh, Syria which as I said last week is uh, kind of an amalgamation of all of our knowledge which is kind of like I'd say a a solid 25% across the board so therefore ideal 100% knowledge Um, so we'll take a look at um the, probably the prime game of the weekend which was Napoli who at the time of the game starting sat in 13th place which is really quite a shocking position for a side that have so consistently um, been battling up against Juventus um, for the title taking on Juve at the Stadio San Paolo which is a Napoli stadium but it was in fact the hosts who uh, took a surprising win under the sh- uh, under the lead of uh, Gennaro Guchuso, um with Zielinski and Insigne scoring to put um, Napoli 2-0 up, only for Ronaldo to score a last-minute consolation goal, which actually turned out to be his eighth consecutive goal uh, in all competitions, uh, or even in the league. Charlie?
2: Yeah, it was eighth consecutive goal in the league, which is astonishing given earlier this season people were suggesting that you know he was coming into his twilight years, that this might be the last year or last couple of years that he was going to be able to perform at this level but he's just shown, once again, he's been able to defy his critics, defy the odds. And he's having one of his best campaigns um, in the last couple of years. So I think that's massively important for them. Having said that, as a whole, Juventus didn't play like they normally did. They were um, shocking. They didn't register a shot on target until uh, until well into the second half uh, of the game, which is astonishing given the p- firepower that they themselves pretty uh, pr- possess, notably in the forms of Dybala and Ronaldo, um, but it's difficult to say whether that means that Napoli have turned the corner or whether they just came across a Juve team that just didn't play well for whatever reason and they're actually going to you know, have to continue that battle to get back into the top half, You know, so not necessarily looking forward to this season, but looking forward to next season they've got a springboard from which they can return to their place in the top four, top five in, in Serie A. Sure, and at least I guess,
1: Archie, um the fact that Inter drew one-all again against Cagliari this time uh, in the league meant that even though Juve lost, they didn't lose ground in terms of the title race. They're still top.
0: That's certainly one way of looking at it. But I think um, from a, a Juventus point of view, with Inter Milan dropping points, that was the perfect opportunity for them to really open up a gap at the top of the table. So I think they'll, they'll definitely see it as um, a, a wasted chance um but yeah, back back to the topic of Napa, I would say there's there's no question that that their struggles domestically this season have probably been the the shock of the campaign. Um, but a, a large part of that, in my view, is has been the absence of their their main striker Milik, who's now he's now back playing, and uh, you've got Lorenzo Insigne, who's he's also back on the on the goal scoring trail. So I think. It, obviously, it, it's hard to say at this moment in time whether they've they've turned a corner, but the last two results, obviously the win um, last night against Juventus and, and last weekend beating Lazio in, in mm-hmm. the Cup, who've obviously been in, in such scintillating form, that is an indication that, that under um, Gattuso's uh, stewardship, they are moving back in the right direction. And, and as we've seen in, in the European campaign already, where they, they managed to beat Liverpool at home and then draw at Anfield, They've clearly got the quality to to be competing at the top of the table, so I would expect them to, to be moving back up the the table in the second half of the season. Yeah,
1: and in Incinio they have a really superb striker that scored a fantastic second goal and mm-hmm. even though Zielinski was kind of profited from a really poor mistake from Chesney in the Juve goal, um Napoli were well worth the the win. Um Matchia, do you think that obviously we'll take taking a look at briefly um Napoli coming up against Barcelona in the in the last 16 of the Champions League imminently. Um, do you think they'll have enough time to turn the corner fully enough to challenge uh, Barca, or will Barca just be too strong? It's um it's an interesting one because
3: um, you know if, if before last night I probably would have said that I'm definitely going with Barca, but um, you know Napoli last night showed that on their night in a in a bouncing stadium against against a Europe's big team they, they can really turn it up. Um, and it's not it's not unusual to have a team that's really struggling in, a, in their domestic league to, um, to go deep into the Champions League it's kind of like a, an escape um, from their struggles at home um, and with, we've really spoken about Barcelona and with, their, with what's going on right now in Barcelona and how they're trying to adapt to, to Kike Setien And it's, it's hard to call I mean Barcelona's day for me is the favourite um, but with Barca's recent history in the Champions League which we touched on last week um, with Napoli being able to turn it up on a big night and of course they just have so much talent in that team that so you never know um, and it could be more interesting than I initially thought when I saw the draw um,
1: but yeah, I'm still going with Barcelona but one to keep an eye on for sure yeah sure um, and turning our attention to, to obviously the top of the league um, we, we mentioned Juve obviously we mentioned Inter um, dropping points yet again uh, it is interesting to note rather quickly actually that um, Inter uh, Inter's Ashley Young Now uh, On his debut Was the provider he, he, he Crossed the ball in For that goal um, For uh, For Inter's One one all draw uh, Also Inter war um, They had Chinese lettering I think uh, uh, Of the names On the back of their shirts Which is quite I mean I don't know It just shows I guess The, the globalisation of, of Syria. But I'll that, that we'll probably save that For another pod Because that's quite A significant topic But um, Looking, looking towards the, the team that are third, and only by virtue of the fact that they are, uh, they have a game in hand, and um, Lazio, uh, who with that, with a, with a win, I guess, can go two points uh, within two points uh, of Juve. Um, they played a, played out a one-all draw against their biggest rivals, Roma, uh, in the Rome derby on Sunday night. Um, Charlie, what did you think of the game? Do, do, do you think Lazio have a chance to, to, to push uh, to, to Juve or or,
2: or Juve too strong? I think they definitely have a chance. I mean, this, is, this draw brought to an end their 11-match winning run in the league. Um, having said that, both goals in the game were gifts following howlers from the respective keepers. Um, I would suggest that Roman actually get closest to stealing victory when Pellegrini saw his shot smash against the woodwork. Um, and they were also awarded a penalty which was subsequently overturned following a pit side review uh, which allowed Inzaghi's side to hold on to the draw and that allowed them in in turn to extend their unbeaten league run to 15 games. So I think if they continue with that sort of form and they're able to replicate that unbeaten uh, run into the close of the the campaign there's no reason why they can't push Juve. Mm -hmm. As Juve showed at the weekend they're only human they're not going to be able to win every game and potentially as they go deeper into the Champions League that could cause them problems as their focus potentially falls away from the Serie A, as we all know that they really, really want to push, you know, Buffon, um, Chesney, Ronaldo, they really want to push that Champions League uh, performance um, and go deep into the competition uh, as possible. So there's no reason why that shouldn't open the door for Lazio. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I think, and I guess obviously Lazio were playing against a team that in Roma that have really been quite... Quite quite good actually uh, this year. I mean, contrary to, to some years where they really have flopped, um, they are they are sitting fourth, sitting pretty in fourth, although just behind them in fifth. And it's funny that um, we when we were looking at what 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 we, what kind of topics to talk about uh, over the weekend, um, we we thought we really should touch on Atalanta because Atalanta have been excellent not only this season but last season. They've really brought uh, um, really sort of rose up, risen up rather in uh, in Italian football. Uh, and then they go and win 7-0 away from home against Torino, who, um, I mean, you know, the pictures coming out of Torino were really rather um, just almost sad, I guess, for Torino. Um, they had players crying on the pitch. I mean, it was really an absolute disaster. They had a player sent off, they gave away two penalties, and it's, uh, it's a really heavy defeat to lose 7-0 at home. I mean, you had thousands of fans streaming out. Mathieu, what do you think of Atalanta? Because Atalanta are just behind Roma uh, in 5th. Uh, in and they're the only other representatives, uh, representatives uh, Italian representatives anyway, uh, in the Champions League knockouts alongside Napoli. Um, what do you make of their rise? What do you think of uh, Gian Piero Gasparini, their manager? Um, your thoughts? I absolutely love Atalanta. Um, I got into them last year, as you said, they've been, they've been brilliant for two years now. Um, their style of football and, and what Gasparini's getting out, of that's one, um, is like, beyond
3: amazing. Um, and their game this weekend against you know was uh, was a testament to that. Um, they just play attacking, fluid, easy on the eye football. Um, and they're just packed with talent. Um, I mean, on on the weekend, Illichic was, was brilliant. Um, I don't know if you saw his like his stunning free kick he took quickly from near the halfway line. Um, Unbelievable. Outside of the traditional powerhouses in Europe. Um, they are alongside Leipzig uh, the most exciting and lovely team. Um, you touched on the fact they were in the Champions League. This is their first ever Champions League um, campaign, and they've qualified out of the groups. Um, you mentioned that they were they were in the in the last 16 alongside Napoli. Um, well, there is also you there in that, um, although not for long because they're playing Leon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they, their, their Champions League group was like was testament
3: to the kind of football they played. I mean, they lost four-nil to, to Zagreb, um, and then drew one 0 with City. Uh, they managed to qualify, and, and they actually had, they had Valencia in the next round, which is the um the team that came first that everybody wanted. And they could really, they could properly hope for quarters in their first ever Champions League campaign. Um, I just think that they're, they're so refreshing to watch. Um they're they're only a point off, off top four, as he said. I really dread Champions League again next year, but they are. Whenever I watch a Serie a game, which I will admit is not always, um,
1: I'd always try and see an Atalanta game. They, they're brilliant. Yeah, no, I I, I can I completely agree. Um, for 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 those of you that haven't seen um, the Illich goal, would definitely recommend it. He scored a hat trick uh, on the weekend. Um, his second was a stunning finish, um, where. Napoli, um, rather, uh, Atalanta were given a free kick just inside, um, the Torino half, and the defenders weren't really switched on. Sirigu in goal for Torino wasn't really uh, was outside his goal, and and Illich ran onto it as the ball uh, uh, sort of died, and chipped uh, Sirigu from, I mean, 50 yards, uh, which beautifully curled down into the into the into the bottom corner, which is just the most incredible goal, incredible finish, um will be up there for, for one of those uh, for the top goal uh, top goal of the season's uh, awards for sure. Um, and I guess that quite nicely leads into into you talked about Leipzig and the way in which you have a lot of teams uh, at the moment trying to push this sort of pressing football, high fluidity, um, young attacking verve, um, Leipzig, despite the fact that they lost 2-0 two, uh, uh, on the weekend. They they are a side that really pride themselves in in, in really um, in fluid football under Julian Nagelsmann, who who was formerly of Hoffenheim. Um, they did lose to two nil to Eintracht Frankfurt, which was really the shock of the, the shock of the uh, Bundesliga um, round. Uh, it was one nil until the 94th minute, and then uh, Frankfurt scored a breakaway goal with Kostic. Uh and it was really it was it was quite a shock because Leipzig have have scored three or more goals. Um, for in their last nine games in the league, but they, they they weren't they were unable to score here, which is really unlike them. Uh, what do you make of it, Arch? Do you uh, do you see much
0: of it? Um, yeah, I, I did see the the result, and I have to say it was a surprise because only last week we were we were touching upon um, Leipzig's chances of actually going on and, and winning the league and, and pushing Bayern Munich all the way. But after after the weekend, the gap's been reduced to to one point and um, I think Bayern Munich's struggles at the start of the season have obviously been well documented but in recent weeks they are really back to their best, I mean at, at the weekend they, they won 5-0 against Schalke and, and you saw just how integral um, Robert Lewandowski is, is for them, he pops up the goal and two assists, he's he's really bringing in the players around him as well yeah. um, and I think he, his link-up play is, is possibly something that he's not given enough credit for. Um, but yeah, the the last five games, Bayern of of one or five scoring nineteen goals, conceding only two. I think it's it's clear as as Manchu said last week actually that they're the team in the ascendancy. In the ascendancy. Possibly the the transfer rumours and all of the speculation linking Timo Werner with a move away from Leipzig has been unsettling. It's it's hard to to know, but yeah, at this stage, despite Leipzig still being one point ahead, you you do fancy. Bayern Munich to, to soon topple them
1: at the, the top yeah, of the table. It's, uh, it's hard, I guess. I mean, the, it was almost really bizarre because there were four points between um, top and second in the Bundesliga at the start of the match week, and then there are now four points between four, uh, first and fourth, which shows you how tight it is and actually shows you how, I mean, often the misconception is that the Bundesliga is just about Bayern Munich, and I know they have one. The vast, the vast majority of the last of of the, Meisterschale, the 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 championship titles, over the past decade, um, but it really isn't as easy as that. And, and Red Bull Leipzig, or Rasenball Sport Leipzig, as they as they are actually officially called, um, are really the side that are pushing them the hardest this year. And it, it's it's this sort of, I guess a, tr- a trio with with Dortmund just coming in behind the trio of of Leipzig, Gladbach, and 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 uh, Bayern, of course, that are, are really having a, a real rather—it's a really interesting race. And, and I guess the, the the interesting game will be of next week uh, when Leipzig play, um, play Gladbach. Uh, in it will almost be a clash of the two very similar styles again. Marco Rose of uh, of Gladbach likes to have a pressing game, a young attacking game. Um, he was formerly of Leipzig. Actually, was a part of the Leipzig setup at, um, when they when they really founded the club. So it will be really interesting to see how how that goes. Um, we can't really do the Bundesliga without talking about Haaland, of course, because, <laughs> unbelievable, he continues to astound. He became the first Bundesliga player to ever score five goals uh, in his first two games. He scored twice on Friday night in Dortmund's 5-1 win over um, the recently revitalised FC Kern, um, who'd seen a, a bounce under new manager Marcus Gisdall, because won, they'd won they're four of their last four games in the league. And considering Kern were second bottom when he took over, that's really rather uh, incredible. Considering as well that Gisdall is... In Germany, really considered to be a, a really, really overrated manager. He's basically—it's quite funny in a way that mines um, and Kern were seventeen, uh, were sixteenth and seventeenth, uh, and in the space of two days, they switched managers. So one side had sacked mines um, sacked. Uh, sacked uh, uh, sacked Marcus Gisdol and then Kern sacked Aachen lauter and then they just switched managers. So it was a bit of a bizarre move, but both sides have actually uh, are actually pushing to get out of the uh, out of the relegation uh, sort of area and the relegation dogfight. So I, I guess it's working out significantly well for them at the moment. But going back to Harland, uh, if he continues scoring at this rate, which is scoring a goal every twelve minutes for Dortmund, uh, he'd end up the season. Uh, he'd end up uh, on uh, 117 goals by the end of the season, which is just Crazy. Um, I mean, it's the the Bundesliga is really with Haaland, with Werner, with Lewandowski. Who I mean, I don't know, Charlie. Do you think I think he's probably the best striker in the in Europe at the moment? Um, Lewandowski. I mean, that's an unbelievable pedigree of of strikers anyway in the league.
2: I think they've definitely got the two best and certainly most informed strikers in world football right now um, with Haaland and Lewandowski. I think another young player who potentially goes under the radar at the minute, thanks to Haaland's you know, arrival in the in the Bundesliga, is Jaden Sancho, mm-hmm. who everyone forgets is also only nineteen, but he scored his eleventh goal of the season and his eighth in his last eight outings, as well as an assist, and I think that you know combination him and Haaland, could um, could spell trouble for Bayern Munich's dominance um, at the top of the Bundesliga, and although this year it looks like they may not have you know the firepower to get them right up at the top and competing come the end of the season I think going into next season they'll be very excited I think they're going to be serious serious kind title contenders
1: yeah no I, I agree um, looking down towards the bottom of the league um, we've got we saw a really surprising result actually with Paderborn who are this year's whipping boys um, they surprisingly won against Freiburg uh, 2-0 away from home and Freiburg actually this is their last season in there in their old home stadium, so uh, in the Waldstadion, so it's it's actually really rather significant that they lost uh, and, and drew a blank because they have really been quite, they've tried to make it as much of a fortress as as possible um, but it saw, what that result saw uh, was that, that Fortuna Dusseldorf dropped down to the bottom of the league um, particularly after, I mean, sort of consigned by Leverkusen winning 3-0 um, which kind of almost it's almost inevitable that um, Freyden Funkel um, will be sacked um, they've won four points from a possible 27 uh, it's pretty ghastly actually at the moment um, they uh, they can't buy a goal a win from anywhere um, they look like they're going to be going, going to go back to um, the Zweite Bundesliga which they were in a couple of years ago they've they sort of solidified their, their position in the Bundesliga of late but that um, that almost looks to be a, a, a nigh on certainty Um But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, as as I touched on earlier, um, it's it's a really tight league. Um, You have, right at the top, you have four or five teams in uh, I mean, the fact that Schalke, actually, uh, Archie, you mentioned earlier, Bayern Munich smashed Schalke. Schalke have been um, pretty pretty decent. Uh, They've been in the top four, in and around it. uh, And then they just got hammered 5-0. David Wagner's men... David Wagner having uh, formerly of Huddersfield uh, has really tried to turn around that side that finished uh, so poorly uh, in, in 14th under Dominic Tedesca um, who was sacked mid-season last year um, it's, really, uh, it's really quite a tight league and the same at the bottom with Paderborn augsburg Mainz, Um the two Berlin clubs are in there around there as well and Kern and Dusseldorf of course um, before we head to our conclusion I should actually mention that um, about five or six minutes ago um, we, heard a, we heard some popping or like a little little uh, tin can uh, sort of tin sound on the uh, on the floor, and that was uh, <laughs> that was the Edelweiss, the second Edelweiss coming out. For uh, Charlie was doing some very excellent work in, in quietly uh, surreptitiously uh, um, opening some uh, bottle, doing some bottle opening for, for me and Archie. Uh, and himself, which kind of tells you a lot about how it's gone down. Uh, it somehow is actually okay. I don't know that we might just be all alcoholics. Speak for yourself, Gib. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially.
0: <laughs> Archie, I mean, you're sipping on it now. Not bad. Yeah, i I've have, have say like, Dolly, at first I wasn't too sure, but it—it it certainly, it certainly its certainly growing on me. It's warm, it's warm um, to me as well. I'm I'm more of an a, uh, an IPA man myself. So I think <laughs> course, I've got my yeah. dad to blame for that. Um, <laughs> but I know this is is going down pretty nicely.
1: Nice and Charlie, I know I know you weren't feeling like it initially, but biting half through or drinking half through. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, it's definitely nice. I mean, again, I'm enjoying that it's not too fizzy. Yeah. Um, as a lot of these lager beers are. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know the gentle undertones the gentle, of, those, uh, of those mountain herbs. Those Austrian, alpine They're really obviously <laughs> something that I'm enjoying. Yeah. You know, on this Monday night. It's very nice. <laughs> it is a Monday night, yeah.
1: Um, that's, uh, that's what lots of Eurobroad students do. So um, you start the week as you mean
0: to go. Exactly,
1: yeah. Nice. Uh, uh, Mathieu, has it got any better? Yours, or still rather lukewarm? Well, I'd still rather lukewarm, warm, but I mean, if it's going alright, I just would admit
3: I'm not going to go on to a second pint, um, <laughs> partly because I'm still recovering from the weekend and partly because it's just not that great. Um, but it's, it's been a nice, a, a nice warm pint. Um, I'm getting to the end of it, slowly but surely.
1: Slowly but surely. That's, a, that's how, as it should be. Um, now, before we, before we wrap up, we should uh, attack the question that we received last week from James. So thank you for the question, James. Um, which club in our respective leagues has had the best transfer window so far and why? Um, we'll have a quick, quick round up answers um, and we'll head to Mathieu first, uh, our, our French man. Go for it, sir. So. Uh, well, I'm being very objective here. Uh, it's, it's been Lyon,
3: uh, partly because been, it's been very, very quiet in France, um, but also because Lyon have done some, some amazing business. We've today just uh, sold Tuzar who's pre average, for uh, 25 million euros. It's a And we've managed to get him loaned back to us for the rest of the season, so he's going there in the summer. Uh, we signed Toko Kambi and Kaduere. Uh, Toko Kambi from Villarreal scored his first goal this weekend. Um, and more importantly, we have signed Bruno Gamares. Uh, I don't know if you know him, I don't know if I said that correctly, but he is a 23 Rebelsfield captain. He was an Arsenal uh, target, an Atletico target, who, uh, who
1: used their preferential clause
3: to, to match our offer. And Bruno chose to come to Lyon.
1: He's a defensive midfielder who I'm very, very excited about. Is he right in the head? <laughs> to, choose, to choose, Is he right in the head to choose Leon over Atletico Madrid?
0: Lack of ambition there, surely. Uh, I'll, I'll,
3: I'll let that comment pass. Um, <laughs> I think yeah, he, he's gonna, there's a strong Brazilian presence in Lyon, um, and he knows that he will be starting. Yeah. Uh, he knows he'll have Champions League football, and I think he could... I mean, the fact he chose the club means that he's just going to be a fan favourite from day one. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm um, so absolutely buzzing about that
1: no I don't um, Archie I saw that um, we, we had a chat about it actually yesterday about Hibernian uh, old Hibs getting uh, trying to get John McGinn's uh, brother which yes. you're not too sure about um, do you think Hibbs have had the best uh, chance of winning so far and-
0: oh, absolutely not <laughs> um, no I, th- I think obviously uh, John McGinn has a a very uh, fond place in, in all Hibs supporters hearts after playing a part in our first Scottish Cup victory in 114 years back in 2016 and uh to be honest, as, as a Hibs fan growing up, he, he is by far and away the best player that, that I've seen playing for us. So yeah, we were very sad to see him go to, to Aston Villa a couple of years ago. But um, his, his brother, I, I don't think quite falls into the, the same bracket. Um, he, he's a right back. And, and after the the injury to the, the season ending injury to Jason Naismith, we desperately need cover in that position. So I, I think um, I think um, McGinn is a he, he would be a good signing and and that seems like it's another deal that is going to go through this week. He's he's been uh, a very solid player for the last two seasons for for Saint Mirren and he's got experience playing down in England as well and I, I think that that he's uh, he's someone who would sh- strengthen the backline which which has been pretty weak this season. Um, but in in terms of who, who's had the most successful window, I think we, we touched on it earlier. Hearts bringing in Liam Boyce, I think that's been an that's been a, a very good move for them. I think arguably Hot with the club in the league who needed a, a good transfer window more than anyone, and and in Boyce, I, th- I think they've got their their man who will score the goals to to fire them to safety. But in, in terms of the the best transfer window, I think I'm I'm going to take it from a maybe a, a more unconventional approach because mm-hmm. you would you would normally be looking at the the incomings. But I think Rangers, in, in keeping on to Alfredo Morelos, That well, obviously the, the transfer window hasn't come to a, a close yet, but I, I think it, it looks pretty sure that they are going to keep on to him. I think that would be the biggest clue of the the transfer window because in Alfredo Morelos, as Danny mentioned last week, they've got one of the most informed strikers in Europe. And I think last season when he was top scorer in the league, people realised that Rangers had a, a real player on their hands but this season he's only strengthened his reputation he, he finished Europa League group stages as the, the top goal scorer and it, it wasn't only the number of goals he scored but actually the quality of goals that he scored um, in, in the victory over Porter at Ibrox he scored a sensational half volley from outside of the box and he scored two world class headers in the, the away game at Feyenoord and I, I say world class you, <laughs> you, you might not be believing me on that but this is a a man who, during his time at, at Rangers, has has been called up to the the international team for Colombia. He's he's been capped seven times now, and he, he scored the winner in the in, in November in their match against Peru. So th- this is a guy who I have absolutely no doubt in my mind is going to go right to the, the very top. And and the fact that the likes of Sevilla have been uh, cited with it with an interest in him this January is only testament mm. to that. A nice short answer from Archie there and
1: Ask that. Um, and Charlie quickly what's uh, your which side do you think of, of the best transfer window so I don't think
2: any team in La Liga has had a particularly stellar window but I'd suggest that if Atletico do secure the, sig- the the signature of Cavani they'll come out of the window very pleased with themselves and the work they've done and I think that'll definitely give them um, a big momentum boost going into the second half of the season
1: yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with that as well um, and then looking at the Bundesliga I think um, I know it sounds quite perhaps basic to say well Haaland coming in for Dortmund but in Haaland they have a new uh, Dortmund have a new type of striker a young striker that they can mould a, a, a young team with Julian Brandt with Jadon Sancho um, and uh, Haaland spearheading the attack and he, they signed him for 18 million which was his release scores and at the same time they sold Julian Weigel To Benfica for 18 million, so they basically haven't spent any money this week, uh, this um, this transfer window. Um, And all things considered, I mean, I like Julian Vidal. He's 24, young player, decent defensive midfielder. But in terms of recouping your money and and getting it, getting a better player, improving your squad, that's exactly what Dortmund needed. And fair play to them. I think that's definitely the their um, they've they've been the the major winners of um, of this transfer window. Um, But yeah, thank you for the question. I'm looking forward to more. so, yeah, thank you all for listening. Um, thank you, Charlie. Thanks for hosting. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Oh, can't always. wait till next time. Uh, thanks, Archie. Cheers. No worries. And thank you, Mathieu. Pleasure as always. No, um, unbelievable insight from all, all, all three blokes, and hopefully a little bit from me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember to get in touch on pubtalkfootball at yahoo.com if you have any questions or comments. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, um, using Durham Radio, Verbal um, Radio On Demand. Uh, and then, if you have any uh, questions or comments, just pop, uh, pop, it, uh, pop us an email. Uh, tune into Purple Radio; you'll hear us. Uh, I think they record; uh, they send this off uh, on like a uh, over the weekend or something, or just before the weekend, anyway. So um, you can definitely listen to us on on actual radio, on air, um, or just through the Durham Purple Radio website. Uh, and their on-demand section. Uh, Bye for now, and uh, see you next week. Purple (laughs) Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.